Well, good evening. We are thankful that you're here this evening for the opportunity to study together for just a few moments. Of course, uh, even if you're visiting with us, we'll be having a fellowship meal after we're done here in just a few moments, and we'd love for you to hang around and be a part of that. I'm thankful for the crowd this evening. It feels kind of like we have a whole new crowd here than we did this morning. A lot of times you want folks to come back, uh, but of course our youth retreat folks are back again and had a safe trip. And uh, I, I didn't know it was such a big deal until Brian and Heath started telling me about all the mishaps in years past, broken shoulders and ankles and things. So everybody, we, we commended Harrison for bringing them all back in one piece. He said I had the same number I left with. So we're just thankful they had a good time. And if you want to know any uh, more about it, you can ask them uh, that went because they did have a very good time. We're thankful that they are back. And again, we have several visitors in our midst, and we're thankful that you are here this evening. If you have your Bible, you can be turning to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20, and we'll begin there in just a moment. Uh, we like to give faith a hard time about messing the bulletin up, but that was not a misprint in the title there. Um, it, she, she had to have help learning where the strike through button is there to strike through the particular uh, letters that went along uh, with the title here. Uh, but we are going to talk tonight about Abraham for a few moments. And I thought this was maybe the best way to, to introduce it as a title to maybe get you to think about it. Uh, because I do want to think for a few moments about Abraham's life of faith and Abraham's lack of faith. Really both. But I thought this was kind of an interesting way to write it because the question that I would ask you tonight is, well, which is it? Is it Abraham's life of faith or is it Abraham's lack of faith? Well... Maybe another question is, does it have to be separate? If you weren't with us this morning, and, and many of you were not for various reasons, we talked about our story. If you've got one of our bulletins in front of you, you may see the outline. We talked about the fact that we all have a story. And our stories can change, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. And when we think about our lives, it is. It is a change sometimes. And with Abraham even, what's his story? Is it a life of faith or is it a lack of faith? Well, as we talked about in our lesson this morning, as we listed several people, Zacchaeus, Peter, uh, the rich young ruler, Paul, and many others, we're careful to judge. And many people would say, maybe that's why we like Peter so much. Maybe that's why everyone gravitates towards Peter a little bit more. Because Paul is great, but we hold Paul up, even as we said this morning, as a number one. Top of the heap, he's the one, and we cannot attain what Paul was or is. We cannot ever get there. So we like Peter because we associate with Peter a little better because impetuous Peter was kind of always stumbling, stubbing his toe, messing up, saying the wrong thing. And so maybe we, we associate with Peter a little bit better. But I think the question is, as we think about this passage tonight in Abraham, is does it have to be separate? Maybe we can have a life of faith that through our story and the way we live our life, from time to time, maybe we do have a lack of faith. And we're going to see that tonight as we talk about Genesis chapter 20. For the sake of time, we won't read every single verse, but if you look down through there, you may be familiar with this story of Abraham and Abimelech. Verse number 2 in particular. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And so beginning in verse 3, God comes to Abimelech. And like a lot of us before who have been caught in something that we didn't maybe think was wrong, Abimelech's saying, wait a minute, you got the wrong guy. But God tells him that he's done a thing here that is not good. And so Abimelech has to consider what he's going to do. And so we come down to verse 8, and Abimelech arises in the morning. And in verse 9, he calls Abraham, and he says, well, why? I mean, it's again, as a parent, I speak to this. 
We ask our kids, well, why would you even contemplate doing that? And this is one of those things that you don't want to use that S word that we sometimes say. Why would you do such a stupid thing? But Abraham is kind of that question. Why would you do that? And Abimelech is asking him, as we sometimes ask our children or other people, what would possess you to say that your wife is your sister? And so they have this conversation here. And as you see at the bottom of the screen in verse number 12, Abraham says, well, she is my sister. And so a lot of times when we ask that, well, why, what would possess you to do that? Sometimes our kids say, well, you know, that is a, the truth, maybe just a little bit. There's a shred of truth in there. And so, again, we don't have time to look at the entire story, but in the end, Sarah is restored and there's some things that are exchanged. And in the end, everything works out okay. But we can learn a lesson of faith here. We can look at Abraham that, yes, we sometimes call maybe the father of the faithful. And we can take this lesson and consider something that we can learn about faith. First of all, this evening, fear can get in the way of faith. Fear can get in the way of faith. We can talk a big talk sometimes. We show up here at the building. We're assembled together. We're fellowshipping. And we can stick our chest out and think we've got it all figured out. And we want to say, yeah, I can do that. I can handle that. I'm willing to take a step out. But yet when we get in the moment, that fear kind of consumes us. And it's very, very difficult sometimes to act and to do something when you are afraid. And fear can get in the way. You know the phrase, do not fear. We sing it in certain songs and even some of the Devo songs or youth songs that we, we talk about. We sing this idea of do not fear. I heard a couple of different numbers in regards to this. Someone said it was used 116 times. I think maybe that's either in the Old Testament or a smaller group. I read somewhere that the idea of do not fear is used 365 times in the Bible. You can look at one passage for every day. You think about the fact that the Bible says over and over again, do not fear. Yet sometimes fear gets in our way and prevents us from acting in faith. Notice in Genesis chapter 20 and verse number 11, Abimelech calls him and he says, Why would you say that? And Abraham says, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. We see Abraham, the father of the faithful, in the moment Get that knee-knocking, sort of stomach-churning feeling of fear, and he balks. As we say in the baseball world, he balks. And he says, wait a minute, I don't know about this. And he makes a mistake. He messes up. When we think about fear and faith, oftentimes, and, and it's just that way in our life, faith is more of a process, not a one-time event. Now, we know the denominational world will oftentimes have us consider faith and the idea of something that we do one time. Uh, you know people talk about having a leap of faith sometimes. But faith truly is a process. We know that we look on the pages of the book of Genesis and all throughout the New Testament and we don't see anyone, of course, except of outside of the Son of God that is perfect. So everyone is going to be on this process. Everyone is going to mess up from time to time. As we said this morning, it's our story. And part of that is our actions in faith. And we need to do our best to be able to set our fear aside and act in faith. 
We could spend the rest of the lesson talking about example after example from the Bible, especially in the Old Testament when God would work miraculously. We think about different stories where someone was told to do something and it, it kind of blew their mind and they had to come back around and act in faith. But fear can get in the way sometimes, and it does here for Abraham. The father of the faithful has to say, I was afraid. I didn't trust God, and I was afraid of what would happen. When we think about our faith, it is a process. And whether it's two steps forward and one step back or, or whatever it is, we must continue to try to grow and build in our faith, mature in our faith. And that is when we're going to be someone who is, even as we talked about in our class in the adult classroom one this morning, a person who is sanctified, who is holy. Not perfect because we see too many other examples of that, but someone who is living by faith. Again, as we oftentimes sing. In conjunction with that, of course, faithfulness does not imply perfection. When we look at Abraham, we don't just shake our head and, and tisk tisk at him and say, well, that's it. Sorry, you messed up. We can't trust you anymore. Although he's made a mistake, we have to recognize that we can learn from him that faithfulness does not imply perfection. And the Bible gives us many records of that. Think about Genesis chapter 9. Just a few pages back in your Bible as Noah, and again, we think about the evilness of the world. The world was so evil that God is sorry that he made man and he destroys the living things on the earth and, and Noah steps off the boat. One step off the boat, we might even say. And in chapter 9, he begins to make a mistake. We think about in verse number 20, it tells us that he planted a vineyard and he drinks of the wine and became uncovered in his tent. And perhaps you remember this story, but even Noah, even after the earth has been cleaned, so to speak, we see someone, a great man, who did something in faith that messes up. We think about Moses in Numbers chapter 20 and verse number, uh, Numbers 1 through 13, of course. If you recall there, uh, Moses' heir at Kadesh, is, he is dealing with the rock and with his staff and with his voice and the mistake that he makes there and that he wants to strike the rock. And, of course, the punishment that he receives. Because God says in verse number 12 there in that particular section, because you did not believe me. Because you did not believe me, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Yes, Moses messes up. Of course, we know David's sin there in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the sin that continues to compound itself. Again, we don't have to look far to see our lives in the example of those on the pages of the Bible. Someone who would not just mess up, but try to do something messing up to can cover up the first time, and on and on and on it goes. We see that snowball happen in our lives sometimes. But yes, as David continues to make mistakes there with Bathsheba, with her husband, and so on and so forth, we see these folks. We talked about Peter this morning. We looked at Luke in our lesson this morning, but the reference from Matthew there, of course, of Peter's denial three times, not just once, not just twice, but three strikes. Peter denies there Jesus. And then even again here in Genesis chapter 20, as we think about Abraham, here's the thing. God has never expected his people to be perfect, but simply faithful. God has not expected his people to be perfect, but simply faithful. Faithfulness sometimes involves a slip up, a mess up. Sometimes uh, we, we don't hit the mark like we're aiming to hit the mark. 
But faithfulness does not imply perfection. It's why God instituted his plan of salvation. It's why God instituted what we call his second law of pardon, that we can return unto him when we've messed up because we are trying to be faithful. And when we look at this example of Abraham, was it a life of faith or a lack of faith? Yes, it's a little bit of both. A couple of other points as we think about this lesson from Abraham. Again, when we think about our life and our mistakes and our faithfulness, our conduct affects the world. Our conduct affects the world. If you maybe turned away from Genesis chapter 20, you may go back to Genesis chapter 20 and verse number 3. Because read, as we didn't take the time to before, what God says to Abimelech when he comes to him in a dream by night and God opens up, at least as it's recorded for us, God opens the conversation with, hey buddy, indeed you are a dead man. Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Our conduct affects the world around us. Abimelech would have died. God would have taken his life because of Abraham's deception, first of all, and also because of his silence. It's interesting to note here that this is a problem for Abraham and that it almost seems like he and Sarah have sort of made this pact, you know, as they're traveling around. If we stop anywhere and they ask us, you're my sister. And so he makes this comment and he, he does this thing and he makes this statement, not only in deception, but then even his silence through that. Our conduct affects the world. And as we said, with regards to our story this morning, that's a good thing. And it's exactly a bad thing sometimes as well. Our conduct affects those around us. Think about it in terms of the New Testament. What would happen to the world if we remain silent? What would happen to the world if we remain silent? And by we, I would mean the faithful Christians who are here and the faithful Christians in the world today. We already know the Bible paints the picture for us that we are the few. We already know that we're in the minority. If the few in the minority remain silent, what hope does the world have? Our conduct absolutely affects those around us. I'm reminded very often of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. The Sermon on the Mount there is he talks about being the salt, being the light. And we've made this point before, but the reason we do that, as Jesus says, is so that people may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, our conduct affects the world because they're going to see our works. Hopefully they're good works, but they're going to see our works and they're either going to shake their head and disgust and say, well, that's a person I don't want to be. Or they're going to glorify our God in heaven. I think that hypocrisy in the church, I think that's one of the worst excuses that we give and hand to the world. I mean, you, you've, you've talked to people, no doubt, family members, friends, coworkers, and you want to ask them why they won't become a Christian, why they wouldn't come to church with you. And a lot of times the excuse that people will give is because if that's what Christianity is, I don't want to be like that. And maybe it's not you, maybe it's someone else, but they know somebody. And they say, that's, I don't want to be a part of anything like that. We hand them that excuse on a platter when our conduct does not match the word of God, when our conduct affects the world. And when we think about that, that is a very sobering thought. We sing about that as well. We sing the words, you never mentioned him to me. Almost gives you a chill to your bones to think about someone looking at you and saying, you never 
mention him to me. What would happen if we remained silent? In this case, with Abraham, Abimelech was going to lose his life. But of course, God intervenes in this particular situation and all turns out okay. But what about the people that we stay silent with day in and day out? Our conduct truly affects the world. A few points here together. Sin caused a problem here. And sin damaged a few things of Abraham's. Not his uh, goods, not his body, but a few other things. First of all, it damaged his character. Sin damaged Abraham's character. Think about what Abraham chooses to do here. He makes a conscious decision in his life to not do what was right, but to do what was safe. Or to not do what was right, but to do what was easy. Man, that's a tough decision sometimes. It's so, it's so tough because what's easy is easy. It's easy to go that path and just avoid the conflict and to not say anything and to take the route that's going to cause me the least path of resistance. But we need to do what's right. It caused a problem here with Abraham's character. If you think of the word character, oftentimes you hear a, a motivational speaker or someone like that, and they say our character is what we do when no one is watching, or we think that no one is watching. Someone else says our character is our actions over a period of time. It's something that is built up. It's doing what is right every single time and not choosing what is safe. The sin here damaged Abraham's character because he was willing to take the safe and the easy route as opposed to what he knew was right. I don't know about you, but I could, I could easily sit down probably and think about some examples in my life. And I wouldn't ask you to give me any of yours, but, but to really self-reflect and think about some situations where, where maybe I knew, I knew inside what was right, but I chose what was safe. That damages our life. It damages our character. In conjunction with that, along the same lines, it damaged his testimony. And that's kind of the same thing here. But I ask you the question, how can people trust a known liar? If Abraham's willing to do that, what else might he be willing to do? And that's the question that people would ask. In conjunction with that, let me ask you this very tough but somewhat easy question. How long does it take to develop the reputation of a liar? How many times does it take for you telling a lie for someone to look at you and say, I don't trust you anymore. I think you lie about things. Most of us can admit and know that sometimes it only takes once. Definitely not twice. Sometimes it's only once for someone to look at us and say, I don't think I can trust you anymore. What about Abraham, the father of the faithful, willing to make this little, little simple lie? And what about the reputation that he was able to earn from that? I think about the words in Titus chapter 2. You know, if you've got a, a Bible that has headings, mine says in Titus 2, qualities of a sound church. We talk about sound doctrine sometimes, the idea being of healthy, that sound doctrine is healthy doctrine, qualities of a healthy church. And he talks there about the older women and about the young men. And he says down in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse number 6, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. But notice verse 8, he says, In sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. 
Peter says similar words, that people would be afraid to speak out against us because no one will believe them. Some of you were in our class here on Wednesday nights just several months ago where we talked about Daniel. And Daniel in the lion's den that our kids know so well, if we don't forget to drive home the point, Daniel in the lion's den begins because those guys could not trap Daniel in any other way but against doing what was right. They had to make a law that would go against what he was going to do because he wasn't going to transgress the law. He wasn't going to do what was wrong unless it conflicted with the word of God. How can people trust a known liar? All it takes is once. And Abraham was going to have a problem here because sin damaged his testimony. But even in the third place, it damaged his ministry. We think about the fact that he was sent to bless. You recall Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God says that I will bless those who bless you. And Abraham has this, this opportunity to go about, to do these good things. But he was sent to bless, and in the end, he nearly caused a death. His ministry was damaged because of this sin. This one little thing. It's not a big deal. It's going to protect me. It's going to protect my wife. But it was a sin because he's lying and because it damaged these different parts of his life. But you know what's interesting? Not only did Abraham's sin cause his, him problems, but as we said a few moments ago, our conduct affects the world. And Abraham has some residual effects that come about because of his sin. If you've got your Bible and maybe you turned away from Genesis, look at Genesis 26 and verses 7 through 11 because we notice those little eyes that are always watching. And I don't, I'm not going to profess to know the ages here, but we see that Abraham has a problem because his son Isaac follows in his footsteps. Even in verse number 7, And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was, here's another word, afraid to say, She is my wife. When we think about our actions, it affects those around us. And Abraham's sin had a residual effect because of his son Isaac. Now, again, I'm not going to say that Isaac was standing by or that Isaac was little or young or he heard about it later. I'm not here to, to make all those ages known and determine that exactly. But we see the same thing happened. I believe today we call it the apple not falling far from the tree. Usually that's used in uh, maybe a humorous way or certain things, and that's fine as well. But sometimes it can cause a problem. Because when we think about our lives, and again, how our conduct affects others, the influence of sin lives on in the lives of others long after we're gone. You don't often look at a tombstone and see something negative about somebody. But sometimes that's the case. That someone who's dead and buried and in the ground and long gone is still having an impact upon their children or their grandchildren or even their great-grandchildren because of the mistakes that they've made in their life. I think about the words of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. In Acts 7 and 51 through 54, as Stephen is about to be stoned, he's preaching that sermon and he delivers the punch to them about who they are and what they've done. He even calls them names. One thing he says is, you do, you do as your fathers did. You act just like your fathers who came before you. You're doing some of the same exact things. Yes, sin as well as a good reputation Sin can live on long after we're gone. We must consider that as we face decisions every day of our life. It's hard. 
You think about what you wear, you think about what you eat, you think about where you go on vacation, you think about where you work and how you spend your time. And most of the time, we kind of throw those decisions away as not very important. But all of the decisions in life are somewhat important and maybe impact our Christianity and the way we choose to live, especially the things that we do that are sinful, that are sometimes witnessed by the world, by our children, by other Christians, and certainly and absolutely by God. We must be careful to learn this lesson from Abraham that our sin can sometimes continue on. From the father of the faithful, we learn that there is weakness in all of us. And again, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. That can be a good thing. It it doesn't give us a license to sin. We can't look at Abraham and say, well, Abraham did it. Abraham messed up, so, you know, it's just not a big deal that I do it too. It doesn't give us a license to sin. But it helps us to recognize that we have a weakness in our lives sometimes. Therefore, we must stand guard always. We must be ready always for the sin that is going to attack us. As we think about it, even as Paul says it, the whole armor of God, that you may be ready to withstand the wiles of the devil, the fiery darts that are coming your way. You must be ready. You do that by learning to guard your life from sin. We think about Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Our heart we must protect and we must guard, even as the proverb writer says there, with all diligence. What I wear, what I watch, what I eat, where I go, all those seem like little decisions that don't amount to much. But when we are guarding our heart with all diligence then we're going to be prepared. We're going to be on guard so that when sin comes after us, we can be prepared and we can be ready. Not perfect, but ready, hopefully, to handle the various situations that come our way. The father of the faithful, he wasn't perfect. He messed up. And even here, he had a life of faith and he had a lack of faith. What will it be for you? Will it be a life Or will it be a lack? As we think about each day of our life, and in particular this big picture idea of being a Christian, God has extended unto us and unto the world his simple plan of salvation. As we're gathered here this evening as a matter of convenience at the end of our lesson, we sing this song here in just a moment that's been selected, that through its words we might encourage you. Maybe your life has been defined by a lack of faith. Maybe you've not even accepted faith in your life to begin with. Hearing the word of God, showing your faith by believing the word, being willing to repent of your sins and confess that Jesus is Lord. Doing those things, you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that the blood of Jesus can wash away those sins and the Lord can add you to his church. Showing that faith in action. You can begin to live a life of faith. Doing good things each and every day. Obeying the commands of God and the word of Jesus. But it's not easy. And just like Abraham did some thousands of years ago. And just like others did closer to us in years. And even as we still struggle with today. We mess up. But God has extended an opportunity for us to repent of our sin. And pray for forgiveness. He is faithful that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. It's a, it's a comforting peace that comes with being faithful tonight we'll be singing to encourage you that you don't leave with anything weighing on your heart with there being a lack of faith in your life 
either by becoming a Christian or coming back to him, you can begin to live faithfully up until the point of death. If there's any way we can help you, please make it known now as we stand together and as we sing.